Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with John Schneider and Clint Checkett talking about application metrics. Hello, gentlemen, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Javi. Just to give, I mean, we've, uh, John, you and I have known each other for, for some time. Uh, Clint, you and I just met about two minutes ago, but I, I already know your life story. You probably know mine. Um, but for those that don't, can you give a little bit of background of uh, where you are and what you're doing currently? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, my name is John Schneider. I'm a, an engineer on the Spring team. I've been working the last year on micrometer application metrics, which is uh, we like to say it's SLA for J, but for metrics. Um, and uh, so prior to Pivotal, I was uh, on the developer productivity team at Netflix. And um, I think that's that's about far enough back. How about yourself, Clint? Uh, so yeah, so I'm I'm on what we call the delivery engineering team at Domo, where uh, I manage a lot of the shared um, libraries that we do. I also run my own systems here. So uh, as we were rolling out some things with Kubernetes, uh, we were really understanding that we needed to know what was going on with the system, otherwise we'd be flying blind. And so so uh, I'm super excited about metrics, and so I have a, have a bit of a history, but it finally gelled uh, recently, and then uh, I reached out with, to the Spring team. Uh, in regards to some shortcomings with Spring, uh, the way that the Spring Boot One had its metrics, and and that kind of pulled me in and, and helped me connect with John, and and then uh, Micrometer kind of was born from that. Okay, and going back to what we were saying just uh, before we started this show, I you know I noticed that one of you calls it Micrometer, and the other calls it Micrometer. <laughs> I can't even pronounce the way you say it, John. Can you say it again? Sure. Uh, I, I call it micrometer. Micrometer. Okay. Uh, I'm British. Well, I'm not. But for this show, I'll be British and I'll call it micrometer. And I, I, don't, I, ha I, know, I have no idea why I even said that that's British. But hey, let's just... <laughs> I'm from Spain, so I'll call it micrometer. You know, curiously, I'm American <laughs> and I feel like micrometer sounds British. So um, we'll, we'll just... Uh, we'll, we'll put on different roles. <laughs> Yeah, well, just let's all just be yeah, um, yeah, that that works, that works. <laughs> when you can't explain it, or just 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 blame the Spanish. Um, so, anyway, uh, so yeah, coming back to micrometer, uh, which I'm way more comfortable saying. So you just said that you call it uh, SL for J, right? Which is kind of like a common um, for shade over logging and in your case it's application metrics is that that's right? right okay and so why would i need a common for shade over application metrics well for one i think uh, a lot of organizations are just getting started on their their metrics journey uh there's a lot of vendors out there there's a, a number of open source products and the decision matrix isn't isn't super clear up front um so, you know, having that common facade uh, over these various systems allows you to experiment, to choose one thing today that appears to be correct and, and choose something else later. Um, secondarily, I, I think some organizations have, have long history with, um, with older monitoring systems like Graphite um, that are hier hierarchical in nature um, and want to make the transition to a dimensional system like a Prometheus or Wavefront or SignalFX or one of the newer systems. Um, and having this facade allows you to 
ship metrics to both for a period of time until you can make that transition. And I was watching a recent talk that you gave at, I think it was at Spring One, where you, you know, given your history and background from Netflix, you said that one of the key uh, tools and one of the, uh, how would you say, one of the main benefits that Netflix has going for it is the metrics, right? Application metrics. It's true. Am I, am I kind of phrasing that correctly? That's true. And, and really, these metrics are embedded into so many uh, higher order systems like automated canary analysis and their predictive auto scaling and server outlier detection and so forth. Um, they, they've gotten so good at monitoring that the irony is uh, they aren't as good at unit testing <laughs> because you can you can simply you know throw code out into into production and allow you know the canary test to um, to you know influence whether um, whether the code is acceptable or not. Um, but at any rate, this is a capability um, that I think was one of their strengths and that we wanted to bring to to other organizations as well. Right, and then the idea here is that because I mean, do you generally see other organizations putting so much emphasis on uh, application monitoring, or is it just something that's starting to pick up more? I think it's starting to pick up more. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Domo's history with that, Clint? Why why is it uh, becoming uh, you know a bigger thing there now? Yeah. So uh, what I've seen, e even in previous employers, what they'd use is maybe drop drop some. Uh, some agent on on the JVM and have it monitor you know the health of the JVM and and that that lets you know if something's falling over but it doesn't know it doesn't let you know if you um, if there's a certain part of your app that needs caching the to behave better or uh, the latency of, of specific behaviors things like that so um, I, I I definitely want um, like if I'm writing a new feature I want to know um, a is that feature being used and B you know is it performing good enough. Um, it's so easy as, as engineers for us to just try to pre-optimize stuff. But so many times that you you know you can throw something together and it's good enough. And if you got numbers around you're like, oh yeah, it's it's still running fine and I can move on and I can work on these other important things instead of instead of you know trying to hyper optimize something that, that really isn't isn't a hot spot of your of your application. So having those those metrics um, at the application level is really, really useful in that in that regard. And and to be clear, like you know, when when I when I hear, uh, you know, when people say application monitoring, and and you combine that with Netflix, already in your mind it's going on like you know, two hundred and fifty thousand microservices all mm -hmm. distributed uh, across multiple um, servers and cloud instances and what have you. And yes, I need application monitoring. But do you think that this is not necessarily required? I mean, you, you can have a much smaller scale system and still get benefits from application monitoring? Absolutely. I, I would I would be monitoring my uh, services the same way if I had three as if I had 3,000. Um, and it's, you know, it, the... You know, one example we give is just when we monitor, like for example, the um, the latency on uh, API endpoints. Um, you know, the focus is on understanding what your users are experiencing, whether those users are um, services calling other services, or that users, or there's an actual live user interaction going on um, with your API. Um, and uh, you know, if you don't if you don't know what the 
what the worst case user experience is. You're kind of just blind, 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 blind a little bit. Um, and in fact, uh, I, I think John, you, you make a good point where if I just have three, then I can kind of hand roll my own thing. But this is where micrometer kind of steps in where if I've got 300 and they all uh, measure the endpoint link to the same way or the garbage collection metrics or the uh, the way my caches are behaving with the same way, then then at, at scale, then I think micrometer really does become uh, useful and needed in that in that regard because now you make it so that uh, like Hickory uh, DB with the the data oh, what is the name <laughs> the the data source pool um, you know th they have common metrics so I can look across all my systems and see like oh these ones are actually okay uh, but these other ones are maybe having trouble talking to the database or something like that right so you get a little more consistency across those 300 micro yeah and one of the things that you were saying is that. I mean, when I asked, why would I want to have something like Micrometer as opposed to go with a specific vendor? And we can talk about vendor lock-in in a moment. But one thing that you mentioned was sometimes you don't know what it is you want and you want to experiment. So I, I'm trying to picture how this actually fits in because when I look at um, a system that is trying to abstract away multiple uh, potential vendors, that do monitoring isn't there like doesn't it get reduced to a common feature set that they all have that you can use well it's the way it, the way micrometer is written um each implementation um records a metric in the same way so the user interaction is the same way from the developer perspective like when you when you record a latency timing you just have a timer interface that you say i just want to record um, the specific timing that I, I've collected or I want to record around this particular um, lambda or callable or function or something like that. Um, or if I'm counting something, all I'm doing is just calling increment on a counter or a gauge. I'm just uh, telling you what the intermediate value is. So the, from the developer perspective, it's always the same. Now the, uh, the expressiveness of the timer um, for like a Prometheus or an Atlas is much uh, richer than the expressiveness of a timer that's built for the graphite implementation. Um, because for example, Prometheus and Atlas um, enable you to create uh, aggregable percentile approximations from their query language and, and a graphite would not. Um, so we're actually really keen on um, like enabling um, the specific you know, features of each implementation, but the interaction from the application perspective doesn't really change. And there's this other thing as well, which is that, you know, when we look to individual vendor uh, client APIs, um, there's some asymmetry there as well. Uh, a good example is with uh, timers. Um, micrometer always ships a decaying max uh, sample to every uh, implementation that we support. Um, you know, and, and many, uh, Client APIs will only ship an average or, you know, the total uh, count that gives you a throughput and also the, the total time um, taken in an interval. And when we when we think about um, like what you should be monitoring from the perspective of, you know, what you should be alerting on to understand what your users are experience, max is very, very important. Um, you know, uh, folks tend to look at average and that only represents the best 50 percent of your user experience. 
And others that get a little further down the road tend to look at high percentile values, say like the 95th or 99th percentile. And that, yet that still leaves out 1% of your user experience. And it's easy to imagine that that 1% is, is insignificant. Um, but, you know, the law of large numbers really stacks up on us quick. So, you know, 1% chance of something bad happening times 100 chances is a 64% chance of something bad happening. In fact, that you know that occurrences in that top one per one percentile are, are pretty common. Um, so yeah, we've we've dropped down max on every uh, uh, implementation um, that we support um, with that with an understanding that that's something that you really want to look at. One other one other thing that is important about the. Um, uh, is is that um, our scope is pretty limited um, in that we've we've got a pretty defined scope in what we're trying to measure with metrics. Uh, that there are kind of three stools to this observability, or three legs to this observability stool, where you've got logging and and that's where you put a lot of detail, right? And then you use uh, the the micrometer metrics, which are very much going to be an aggregate. Uh, and and there are things like uh, what John mentioned with Prometheus and Atlas, where you can get these very detailed histograms. But at the same time, it's really intended for an aggregate. And then you have tracing, which is a different thing. And so every now and then something comes up uh, where someone asks a question and, and, and the right answer is, you know, micrometer, you're asking a tracing question. You want to use something like Spring Cloud Sleuth or Zipkin or something like that instead of micrometer. And so so we, we, we actually do stay true to, to you know, that whole aggregate um, uh, part of the metric. It's true. Good point, Clint. So from the API perspective, uh, from developer perspective, how, how does this work? I mean, you know, let's assume me, I have zero knowledge of uh, application monitoring. And, you know, my boss comes to me and says, it's not going well, like users are complaining. And I have nothing in my code base. Like, what, what should I be doing? What is the first step that I should be doing? Yeah, so um, we provide a number of what we call binders, which are just a collection of metrics um, kind of out of the box. And those binders represent uh, our knowledge about what the most effective way is to monitor, say, your caches and, um, you know, Tomcat or Jetty or database, or et cetera. Um, and so it's easy to go ahead and, you know, and create a, a registry that exports to a particular uh, monitoring system and then just bind those metrics. And you can think of that as kind of like um, black box instrumentation in a way. Um, you're just using those things that are provided for you. Um, and then when you want to move on to, um, to timing custom things or to counting custom things, um, you can inject that meter registry uh, into your code um, and use it to create uh, timers and counters and gauges and such to, to monitor individual things. Um, and then up at the framework level, like, you know, Spring Boot also auto-configures uh, metrics around, say, API endpoints and uh, REST client interactions and so forth um, as well. What were you going to say, Clint? Yeah, sorry. So exactly what you said, John, where uh, something that's really big is with Spring Boot 2, uh, it ships with micrometer um, support already there. And so what's really interesting is it's already instrumenting your code, uh, at least at the framework level. 
and, and with the binders that come that, that ship with Spring Boot. And so all you would need to do, say you were, it was written in Spring, say your app was written in Spring Boot, if you just go and add in uh, a dependency for a corresponding registry, whether it's Prometheus or Atlas or, or whatever you want to send it to, uh, just by adding that dependency and then enabling, um, I think, you know, just a couple lines of config to, uh, say, enable the Prometheus endpoint, then your application at that point actually has a pretty wealthy amount of data, even though you haven't added any, any of your own uh, meters yourself. So that, that supports there as well as there's a, a Spring Boot 1 uh, legacy uh, kind of module you can add into to get the same support. And on top of that, even though we've been talking about Spring, uh, Micrometer Core itself doesn't have any of those hard dependencies. So uh, if you had a, a non-Spring app, then you'd have to do a bit of wiring up, but you can still go and grab that, that core library and use it in a, in a non-Spring environment. And, and I, I've actually run that whole gamut where we've got Spring Boot apps here at Domo. And I've actually got some old legacy ones where you can go and wire in uh, the the core stuff, in which case we have to kind of wire together more things. But but yeah, at the same time, you can you can use it in all of those environments, which has been great. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because you know everywhere um, I was looking through the source uh, source code and some of the samples and that, and there's a lot of reference to Spring. But you're saying that this actually does work whether you're using Spring Boot or any other kind of application framework, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we've also kind of optimized for the, the common library case as well. So we provide a, a static accessor like, which is called metrics, and you can say metrics.counter, metrics.timer. Um, and that places uh, metrics that you could um, create in a, a core library. So for example, we have uh, RabbitMQ doing this. The RabbitMQ Java client um, is, it, instrumented with some degree of metrics and they're able to use the static global composite registry so that they don't have to uh, leak micrometer through the, their public API. You don't have to inject the meter registry into um, rabbit types. Um, and then, so then that composite, that global composite registry later on um, is something that you can just wire up your particular registry implementations to. And you can you can pull metrics then from from the lower level libraries you're interacting with as well. Um, so we've kind of like taken it from two angles. We've made uh, you know a dependency injection story easy for your kind of app layer where you have a good DI framework, and we've made the the static case look uh, very similar to what SLF4J does down at the the core library level. Uh, so where does Kotlin fit in all this? So uh, uh, to, to kind of lead into that, uh, I, I do need to. Hey, thanks for putting all the Kotlin Comp uh, 2017 videos on YouTube. Um, as soon as they were posted, um, I've been I binge watched the majority of them. I was I, I loved the, you know I wasn't able to attend, but I was able to watch a bunch of those videos. And so I got to the video of idiomatic interop by Kevin Most, and and he essentially walked us through you know here's what annotation you need to add. Here's how you uh, can add the nullability lar largely as the uh, the stuff that we were adding in. And so um, after watching that, it just got me fired up and I said, oh, we need to make it so my computer can do this and, and can support this well. So, so I, I uh, began working on that and submitted a pull request. But then I know John, he, he, uh, he, he took it to the next level and finished it up. Yeah, so we have a belief that uh, I think that core Java libraries or, you know, the libraries that are tended to be used across the JVM ecosystem really um, need to go back uh, if they haven't already, and uh, decorate their APIs with um, with nullability annotations. Um, 
And so obviously Kotlin does a great job of taking advantage of that by, um, by inferring, you know, a, a type is non-nullable or nullable depending on uh, the applied annotation rather than just that platform type. It kind of um, makes you make an assumption about it in Kotlin code. But it's, it's equally useful when you're um, consuming the library from, from Java code and you're uh, working in IntelliJ and, and you're receiving, uh, you know, hints all over the place about um, where you need to be doing null dereferencing correctly. Um, so Kotlin is definitely uh, does a fantastic job about making that a a, uh, a compilation concern, um, but you can still take advantage of this from from uh, Java as well. Um, right, but the source code itself, I mean, all of it is written in Java, right? It's still all Java code, yeah. That's right. Yeah, and do you have any plans to migrate that or convert that into Kotlin? You know, I'd love to, but for such a low-level library, we're really, really focused on dependency hygiene. Um, and so, you know, having to ship the Kotlin standard library with it would be, um, wouldn't be uh, appropriate for our consumers. Um, we wouldn't want to have to align on, on Kotlin versions downstream, even though um, it's done great on backwards compatibility. Um, so we just want to do everything we can to make sure that uh, that the experience in Kotlin as a as a consumer of micrometer is is as good as it can be. I actually played around. I, I played around with adding a, a micrometer um, Kotlin module, and just you know see oh maybe there's some extension methods that would make sense and things like that. And uh, and frankly, it's Kotlin's interop just works so well that I can't find any good uh, <laughs> any needs really. And so so that that's where I uh, I haven't actually pushed any of that. Because it just works so well uh, with Java already. And again, it goes back to one of the the goals of the language, right? Which is mm -hmm. you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can embrace everything that's already there. Uh, but coming back to the API, and, and that, that was a very good talk by Kevin, especially when he was, you know, when you're targeting uh, creating APIs that are to be consumed both by Java developers as well as Kotlin developers, and beyond nullability, have you are you looking at adding other, like a, a, a you know a thin layer of uh, a Kotlin API on top of it for for users that want to use it directly, you know, without having to consume a Java API, so to speak. It goes to uh, so of course I mean we know that Spring uh, Spring Five has introduced um, not only nullability checks for the same reason, but um, has in introduced us a, a thin layer of extension functions on top of the, the core framework as well. Um, and uh, I would I would certainly do that uh, in micrometer if I could imagine um, a set of extension functions that would benefit Kotlin developers. Um, so far, I haven't imagined any. I think that's kind of what Clint was saying as well. Um, there are a couple of uh, places where we use builders, um, and perhaps mm -hmm. those can where we can unify those in. Uh, that that's actually something I, I could look into. I yeah, that'd be interesting to see. There was something like that. Builders to DSLs, right? That's right. I was uh, recently talking to uh, to a gentleman about uh, gra graphs. Oh yes, Charles. I was talking to Charles about graphs, and. Um, after the show, because I mentioned like, oh, you know, have you thought about creating any kind of DSLs around your API? Because he had actually taken a, a chart, which was called a hello chart, I believe, on Android. 
and converted it to Kello chart, basically converting the whole thing into Kotlin code. And I brought up this topic of DSL afterwards, and he's like, oh yeah, that that's actually, you know, now that you bring it up, it might it might work and it might provide some useful API. So I, I have to throw this in every time, you know, like, it, yeah, have you thought about converting your builders into DSL? Interesting. Like, it's, you know, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, Colin Comp 2018, right? Uh, builders to DSLs. <laughs> That's a talk title right there, yep. you know, and it's only you've got, you've got another two weeks before the call for papers closes. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. that's great. It is Amsterdam. It's a nice mm, place. Yes, I hear. You hear? Yeah, <laughs> I hear. <laughs> so, uh, what is the uptake uh, in in terms of the library itself? I mean, did, because you, when did you actually release this? It was kind of near the end of last year no it's been oh boy it was right before spring boot 2 we kind of lashed it to spring boot 2 simply because um it was you know we knew we had to have a 1.0 ga version before spring boot 2 and we could just and you know once we got that 1.0 ga out that api uh, pivotal promises you know major version support for three years so we knew the API would be solidified at that point. So it was kind of a race to pile in as many features as we could before 1.0GA. Um, so ultimately, uh, it was the 1.0GA went out on the 20th of February. Um, we've had a couple patch releases since then, and we're releasing another one today. So we'll be on 1.0.3 today. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the plan. I think we'll we'll see a 1.1.0 uh, release probably closer to August or September um, that will add support for more registry, like more monitoring systems. Elastic search Kibana is one of the ones we've added already. Um, probably uh, Azure's application insights. Um, there's a few others that I think that I think are on the list. So um, looking, uh, looking forward to just continuing to expand that. So does it take a lot of effort to kind of keep up to pace with all of the different vendors and what they're offering? I, I think each new implementation we offer uh, is a little easier because there's, you know, we've, we've kind of seen a lot of the same patterns over and over again. Um, as far as vendors themselves, I don't think um, they can change all that rapidly in terms of the exposition format because, you know, you kind of have to assume that, um, if you made it, if they made a breaking change to their API, that all of their users' entire infrastructure would have to roll over um, before they could um, completely change a format. So, um, yeah, it's not like we're talking about the JavaScript community. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, plenty to learn from them as well. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it tends to be pretty stable. So. So uh, backtracking a bit, Hadi, um, uh, so there was a, a pre-1.0 release, release, it looks like, according to Maven Central, the first one was in July of last year, and we mm -hmm. did iterate on that, that uh, up to the 1.0. And, and that was interesting as we, as we did have to figure out what was the right abstraction uh, for the, the API because we wanted to make it useful and we wanted to, like uh, what John mentioned, having the static accessor. So if you've got some legacy code that doesn't use dependency injection, how can you get the, the registry and things like that? Mm -hmm. So it was very iterative and and people really latched onto it where it seems like once a week or, or more you know someone hops in the slack channel like oh i've been looking for something just like this and 
wondering why why didn't this exist before? So, so that takes, yeah, it, like at least the the mental uptake has been fantastic. You know, an example of a feature that came entirely from the community um, that, frankly, I resisted for a little bit was naming convention normalization. Um, so, you know, the idea, our suggestion now is you should always um, dot separate uh, name components. Uh, so if you have a timer called my timer, you, you write it my dot timer and each registry implementation has its own naming convention. Um, so, you know, in Atlas, the preference is that you camel case names so that my dot timer is turned into my, you know, capital T timer. And in Prometheus, the assumption is everything will be uh, snake cased. And, uh, you know, in Elasticsearch, if I did use uh, a dot prefix or a, a dot separator, it would actually break the dynamic mapping that Elasticsearch builds. So it's, it's more than just a, uh, you know, an idiomatic concern. It's actually a functional concern. Um, for these different monitoring systems. So um, that was something that, you know, early on in the, you know, say like June or July last year, I didn't feel like uh, names were all that important, but it really, uh, it really came up uh, over and over again. And, and and now that's kind of a first class feature. Um, so it's yeah, been very- That paved the way towards uh, further things like uh, there's something called meter filters. And to, mm. just like when you're doing logging, you might want to litter your code with debug statements because uh, I'll need to know how this works at some time to turn on debug and see how things are behaving. And, and that makes it so that Micrometer can do the same thing where, okay, I might want to measure this in the future, but um, I could you know, disable that, uh, that metric actually so that it's not burying my system because I'm you know, sending a million metrics to it. I only want to send the ones that uh, I actually uh, know I want to measure. So you, you have the ability uh, just because you pull in uh, an, a library that's instrumented, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to have the capacity for all those extra metrics. You could actually uh, mute those or or do other things with them, combine buckets and stuff like that. But uh, that's that's another feature that's been very helpful to me as well because uh, I'll get a lot of people stand up new services and and they want to monitor the world, and we we have to say, well, you, you gotta you gotta you know we have quotas, we only have so much uh, capacity anyway, so. We have to. We can use configuration to turn stuff on and off very easily without having to redeploy new code that actually changes uh, how we've actually instrumented it. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about, I mean, the monitoring services that you use, do you use multiple uh, normally in a, in a single application, or do you usually stick to like one one vendor? Actually, yeah, that, that that's a great question. So the 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 base um, registry that for me that sorry. Micrometer uses is called the composite registry for that purpose that we can actually have a single application pushing to multiple. And in in the case, I, I have several applications where we have our own homegrown thing that's been around for years. And so I went and added a, a way to shim that so that Micrometer could push to our legacy one. And then we, we were playing with Prometheus and using Prometheus heavily in, in many applications and as well as trying a, a third party vendor in another one, so it's it's actually not uncommon for some of my apps to be pushing to all three of them. Uh, you know, partly for abstraction, but then partly because um, maybe their uh, ops or, or cloud ops team might be monitoring using CloudWatch in, in Amazon, mm -hmm. and you're paying per metric when you ship up there. So maybe I only want to ship up, you know, I don't know, a memory usage or, or some very high level metric there, while the rest of them I can just send to Prometheus, which 
you know, only holds on to them maybe for like a week at a time, right? So it keeps the cost low there, but I can have a high cardinality. So uh, in that case, I actually am using uh, three at once. And, uh, and it's, it's fantastic that I don't have to uh, put that call in, in in my code, only one actual monitoring call itself. Yeah, which goes back to the idea of not having this vendor lock-in, right? right. You, even if it is... Even if I'm the vendor. You, you actually, <laughs> yeah. I think Netflix was in a similar cool. place. They had, of course, Atlas, which is where uh, many of their metrics went, but they shipped some specific whitelist to CloudWatch, and they also shipped on a per instance basis, everything to JMX. So you could uh, you could just look at JVisual VM on a particular instance. Um, so I think it, it's not gonna be uncommon that there's a hybrid like that. Of course, we didn't mention that all of this comes at a, at a very, very expensive cost, which is it's all open source and free and on GitHub, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just some, well, I mean, it, it does cost a lot, but just someone else is paying for it, right? <laughs> It, yeah, it costs Clint and I something <laughs> in terms of our, our time. Um, There's actually quite a, a lot of help, by the way, on the Slack channel. We'll always see from like Mike and Tommy and, and others that uh, it's true. the community has really been very, very helpful to jump in and, and answer stuff. It's been welcome. You have a Slack channel as well, right? I, I read somewhere. That's right. Yeah, there's a link to it on micrometer.io. Um, so it's mm. just slack.micrometer. How many people do you have on there? Uh, see. Roughly. Um, 378 registered, 32 online right now. So, something okay. goes. Yeah. That, 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 that still works. Right? Yeah. It's just, it just um, I don't know if you saw a tweet recently. Uh, who was it by? Was it Ghost or someone that they said they're moving off Slack because the they've got 11,000 people? Yeah, Discourse. Yeah. It's funny. Clint just mentioned that um, in our Slack channel yesterday. Yeah. I, I was seeing that same tweet stream. The same. Uh, um, well, we have right now, I think I, I didn't check last, but I think we've got like 15 or 16,000 people on the Kotlin Slack, oh, wow. right? And she, I, I, I love the the old days when it was like on the BBS and it was just six of us. And, and when someone would post a message, they're like, no, nope, you've got the wrong channel. Go away. So are you thinking the same same way, like back to a message board style thing or... Well, we have discourse. Uh, the Kotlin forums are discourse. Uh, to be honest with you, like I don't keep up with everything that's going on in Slack. What I do miss is there's a lot of teams that are doing open source projects, uh, yeah. or, or I guess the majority on, on Slack are doing open source projects around Kotlin. And like for example, there's the spec team. Yeah. And it really sucks when you go back in after two weeks and, and you get that wonderful little message from Slack saying, you know, there's more here for you to read, but if you want to make sure you pay us, right? Uh, yes. uh, and yeah, right. And, and that's where I really like feel we could use the, the, the paid model, you know, for Slack and, and I've approached them about it and they basically said it's, it's a no go. Uh, so you know, and we're not going to front the bill for 16,000 people, even if 2,000 or 3,000 of them are active at a time. So, yeah, it is it is a pain. Oh, well, thanks, guys, for coming on the show and uh, speak at some other time. Yeah, thanks, Hadi. Yeah, thanks.